know, the internet has changed everything in our lives, hasn't it? <laughs> I was thinking about newspapers, which is a dying thing. Papers are getting shorter and shorter because everybody looks online. It's a dying artifact of the 20th century. I think about telephones, smartphones. Everybody's got a phone. I got a phone up here. Everybody's got smartphones. You know, they've rendered landlines useless for most people. Television. Everybody's cutting the cord. <laughs> In the business world, telecommuting jobs. Skype, Zoom, other teleconferencing services that have transformed the world of business. Even preaching. No longer do you hear just one voice. You got a phone, you can hear thousands of sermons. Don't do that. <laughs> the internet has changed everything. It's create, we've created some communication shortcuts. Uh, we have an alphabet soup of new abbreviations that have become pretty normal. L-O-L means what? Laugh out loud. B-T-W means, by the way. F-Y-I, a little information. S-M-H, shaking my head. You know, 20 years ago, th 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 those words weren't there. A most interesting one is OMG, which is, oh my God. Now, some might say it is a usage of the Lord's name in a vain, flippant way, a way that doesn't pause to give him honor and glory that he alone deserves. And I must admit that I kind of agree with that, that in, 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 in a way, it, it kind of gives a flippant weak view of God. Uh, you know, we, we, we don't really listen to God as we should and honor him as we should or love him as we should or fear him as we should or obey him as we should. We have to admit, that's why we have confession every week. In, in, in the passage for this for today, we're going to see a man who exclaimed, O-M-G. But he literally meant every word. Oh, my God. This man's Thomas. Thomas. Let's pause and, and listen to the, 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 verse here, the verses here. Let's stand and listen to God's word. John chapter 20, verses 24 to 31. Now, Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the, na the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Amen. You may be seated. Our series is Transformed by the Empty Tomb. We're looking at various in individuals here as John continues his uh, uh, gospel as he comes to a close. We've looked at Mary Magdalene, 
the first uh, eyewitness to the resurrection last week, uh, Brother Reuben, shared with us that encounter on that uh, uh, resurrection evening where he gave them the, 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 a precursor of the Spirit who was to come at Pentecost in fullness. Today we're looking at Thomas, we're looking at Peter, we're looking at John, we're looking at these, these people whose lives are transformed by the empty tomb. And today we're looking at Thomas, the testimony of Thomas, O-M-G. Now many people have looked at Thomas as a prime example of doubt. In fact, that's his nickname, Doubting Thomas, right? You've heard that probably. I want to think about Thomas as a prime example, not of doubt, but of faith. Of faith. From Thomas's resurrection encounter, I believe John shows us what genuine saving faith in Jesus can look like. So not doubting Thomas, faithful Thomas is where we're going. He cries out, OMG. How he gets to that point is very interesting for us. It's instructive for us. Now, today I'm, I'm a little, we're going to look at the passage, just walk through some of the interesting things in the passage. Then we look at three things that I think give the key meanings and, that I want you to get out of it. And then... Or one simple application. The, uh, and the meaning is, we're going to look at the, the fact that faith, genuine saving faith in Jesus is in Jesus as Lord and God. That's what genuine faith is. That, that genuine saving faith is personal. And that general saving faith for us is based upon some solid, basic, historical facts that we can find in the scriptures. Let's just walk through the passage. Walk through, uh, again, Jesus' appearance, verses 24 and 25. He appears, and <clears throat> Thomas is one of them, but he's not there in, in the, that, that appearance in, in the previous uh, 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 passage. And so what we have here in verses 24 to 25 is sort of a conversation that they had with Thomas, who was absent in that, that, that upper room experience. And, and, and they're saying, Thomas, he, we, we saw him. <laughs> and Thomas says, no, 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 I don't know about that. <laughs> uh, he, 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 Thomas says, I got I, I got to touch him. I got to see him myself. This is the conversation between sometime Monday through Saturday. At some point, they had a conversation. You know, the state of Missouri has a nickname. Maybe you know that nickname. It's called the show me state. The show me state. It, back in, it goes back to the, the end of the first part of, of the end of, 18, of, of uh, the 19th century, 1899. Uh, man named William Duncan Vandiver. It, it was his time as a representative a political representative that, that really put him down in history. According to popular stories, uh, Vandiver was at a dinner at a Philadelphia 5 o'clock club while serving on the U.S. House Committee on Naval Affairs in 1899. So he's a Missouri representative, but he's in Philadelphia uh, serving there for this dinner, at this dinner as a representative. In response to another speaker's comments, Vandiver said, I come from a country that raises corn and cotton, Cockleburrs and Democrats, and frothy eloquence neither convinces nor satisfies me. I'm from Missouri, and you have got to show me. So he wasn't convinced about the argument of the fancy, eloquent speaker before him in the debate. And so his phrase became pretty popular. I'm from Missouri, and you got to show me. And that became a slogan for the state of Missouri. Thomas was from Missouri. Thomas says, you got to say Jesus showed up, and you got to show me. I don't believe this. It's too good to be true. I'm not going to buy it. He's from Missouri. He says, unless I can touch him and see him, I'll never believe. Jesus' appearance. Now, Thomas' encounter, verse 26. 
It says eight days later, and I have the, 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 the timing there. It includes each of the Sundays. So it was, it was the next Sunday. It was the next Sunday as they were gathered. Um, <clears throat> and Thomas is present this time. And guess who shows up? <laughs> Jesus. Jesus shows up out of the blue. And, the, and, and John tells us the doors were locked. Now, to, it could have been that he supernaturally unlocked the door. Or could it be he supernaturally came through the door? The, the text doesn't tell us. But something crazy happened. <laughs> the doors were locked. And Jesus is there. And in their franticness, he has to say, peace, be still. Because they're saying, wow. They're, 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 what, what a scene that would have been. Jesus looks at Thomas in verse 20. He exhorts Thomas, touch me for yourself. And he says, stop disbelieving and believe. And Thomas says, OMG, my Lord and my God. Now, that, is, that was not just a, an exclamation like we would say, oh, my God. <laughs> He's looking at Jesus and calling Jesus Lord and God. He's confessing that this one, this man Jesus is Lord and God. Look, it is still true that Jesus shows up on Sundays when those who love him are gathered together as a community of faith. It is still true that some in the community of faith have weaker faith than others. It is still true that gathering with God's people can be an encouragement to those whose faith is weak. It is still true that if you sleep in and don't gather with the community, you won't grow in your faith. Thomas slept in. Why? We don't know. So he showed up the next week, and his faith was encouraged. His encounter with Jesus. And the, it's interesting, the text doesn't tell us that he actually touched Jesus. He saw him, Jesus talked to him, and maybe he didn't touch It doesn't tell us. Many believe that just seeing and hearing him was enough. Verses 30 and 31 is the John summary of the book. It's his first summary. There's an appendix actually coming next couple of weeks. We'll look at that. Uh, <clears throat> verse 30. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now, the last book, uh, verse of, of, in chapter 21, is going to say this. There are many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose the world itself cannot contain the books that would be written. So it's, it's kind of a double closure there. But the, the, the Gospel of John is, is, is organized around, uh, there's seven signs, seven incredible miracle signs that Jesus did. You have a, a slide here where you can see some of those, those um, what those were. The, the, the great miracles in the Gospel of John. And John is ramping up here. He says there's many other signs. And of course we have some of those in, in, the, in the other Gospels. Um, and, but I'm sure there are some that aren't even written in the other Gospels. Many things that Jesus did. Those are signs pointing to the power of Jesus and his divine authority. Signs pointing to that. And, and so here, here we have John's purpose statement for the entire Gospel. Based on those signs, believe, believe, believe in Jesus and find life, life abundant and life eternal. Because life is to be connected to God through Jesus Christ. Now, Let's, do, let's start now do a deeper dive into the text with three very significant principles about genuine faith, genuine resurrection of faith, 
Genuine faith, we learn from Thomas, is in Jesus as Lord and God. Jesus as Lord and God. OMG. Gresham Machen, years ago, wrote uh, this about the deity of Christ, that Jesus is God. Um, So when the Christian says that Jesus Christ is God, or when he says that he believes in the deity of Christ, he means that the same person who is known to history as Jesus of Nazareth existed before he became man. From all eternity, as infinite, eternal, unchangeable God, the second person of the Holy Trinity. Machen goes on, 1,900 years ago, there lived in an obscure corner of the Roman Empire one who would seem, who would have seemed to a superficial observer to be a remarkable man. He engaged in a career of religious teaching accompanied by a ministry of healing. At first, he had the favor of the crowd, but since he would not be the kind of leader the people demanded, he soon fell victim to the jealousy of the rulers of his people and to the cowardice of the Roman governor. So he died the death of criminals of that day on a cross. At his death, his followers were discouraged. They had evidently been far inferior to him in in discernment and in courage, and now what little courage they may have had was gone. His death meant the destruction of all their hopes. Never, one might might have said, was a moment more completely dead than the movement, a movement more completely dead than the movement which had been begun by Jesus of Nazareth. But then, however, the surprising thing happened. It is a fact of history, which no real historian denies, that those same weak, discouraged men, the followers of Jesus, began within a very short time after the shameful death of their leader in Jerusalem, the scene of their cowardly flight, the most remarkable religious movement the world has ever known, the movement commonly called the Christian church. At first, that movement was obscure, but it spread like wildfire. Machen's correct. Something happened. Something happened. Jesus was risen. And so, so Thomas confesses that this one Jesus is, is God. He's, he's divine. And this is, this, the fourth gospel, John, declares clearly the deity of Jesus Christ. He's called in chapter 1 the Word, the Logos, the Word. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, the Word was with God. The Word, Jesus, the Word of God. In John chapter 3, God so loved the world, he gave his only son, the sonship of Jesus Christ. He's God the Son. John chapter 5, interesting phrase. There's a debate because Jesus is, is healing on the Sabbath day. Religious lo- rulers say, you know, you're breaking Sabbath rules. And Jesus is saying, my father's working until now, and, and I'm working. And his, was, his was why the, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Now, many of us might look at that and say, he's calling himself the son of God. We're sons of God, too, in one sense, aren't we? But this is a unique sonship. He's the only begotten son, the eternal son of God. Now, if Jesus were not the unique son of God, if he were like son of God, like you and I are sons of God, I imagine he would have said, whoa, time out. No, 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 you don't understand. That's not what I mean. I'm just saying I'm, I'm a son of God like all of us. But he doesn't do that. What does he do? He says, yeah, you're, you're right. I'm the son of God. <laughs> the son, the uniqueness of that title. Jesus only, the son of the living God. The very nature of God. The Gospel of John also has 
the I am statements, the I am statements, which really point to the deity of Christ as well. Of course, in, in, in Exodus chapter 3, God comes to Moses and says, Moses says, what's your name? I've got to tell him who you are. He says, I am who I am. The I am. Yahweh, the verb. I am. And John, in his gospel, has these I am statements <laughs> throughout his gospel. I am the bread of life. I am the living water. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am. And it's interesting how John puts that into his gospel, pointing us to the deity of Jesus Christ. In John 8, there's a very interesting discussion there. As the religious leaders, are, are, are again, they're, they're the father Abraham, the, the, the hero of the Jewish people. And um, they're affirming that, you know, that, that, that you know, you're not 50 years old. Have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. <laughs> before Abraham was, I am. So he's claiming to precede Abraham. I mean, <laughs> that's incredible. And they said, what? So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out to the temple. Jesus clearly is divine. In John 18, <laughs> when the, the arrest scene, interesting passage there. Uh, they, they say, who are you? Jesus, who, who do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas who betrayed him was standing with him. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. What's going on there? John is telling us that when Jesus said, I am he, God knocked him down. They were in the presence of God. Jesus says, I am he. Yeah, I am. Again, I am. Jesus is God. That's Thomas's confession that he is God. And also, his confession is that he's Lord. He's Lord. Uh, N.T. Wright, the theologian, has said this. Christian worship declares that Jesus is Lord and that therefore, by strong implication, nobody else is. What's more, it doesn't just declare it as something to be believed, like the fact that the sun is hot or the sea is wet. It commits the worshiper to allegiance, to following this Jesus, to being shaped and directed by him. Worshiping the God we see in Jesus orients our whole being, our imagination, our will, our hopes, and our fears away from the world where Mars, Mammon, and Aphrodite, violence, money, and sex, make absolute demands and punish anyone who resists. It orients us instead to a world in which love is stronger than death, where the poor are promised the kingdom, and chastity reflects the holiness and faithfulness of God himself. Acclaiming Jesus as Lord plants a flag that supersedes the flags of the nation, however free or democratic they may be. It challenges both tyrants who think they are, in effect, divine, and the secular democracies that have effectively become, if not divine, at least ecclesial, that is, communities that are trying to do and be what the church was supposed to do and be, but without recourse to the one who sustains the church's life. Worship creates, or should create, if it's allowed to be truly itself, a community that marches to a different beat, that keeps in step with a different Lord. Thomas says, Jesus is Lord, Lord and God. Genuine faith, secondly, is, is, is personal. 
He doesn't just say, Lord and God. It's my Lord. My God. It's personal. You know, I, I think a lot about models of, of, experience, of Christian experience. And, uh, you know, in one sense, there's, a, there's, a, there's several models. One model is what you would call the crisis model. The crisis model. This is where someone, uh, say Paul the Apostle, he's just going about his business, and God destroys his faith, his whole foundation of his life, and he's changed through a miracle, a crisis in a day. Though he's probably thinking about it ahead of time. That's one model. Maybe some of you probably have had that experience. You're just going about your business, walking like a normal human being in, in the world, and God shook you up and got a hold of you. Crisis model. Another model is called what I would call the journey model. The journey model. Some of you have that model. This is Timothy, who, you know, Paul's disciple, who, you know, Timothy, we can't really point to a time when Timothy came to faith in Jesus Christ. He was raised in a home where he had godly influences. Apostle Paul comes and he follows Apostle Paul. But when did he get saved? We don't know. He was on a journey. Some of you, that, that's your story. Some of you can't think of a time where you made a dramatic turn of repentance to follow Jesus. Because your parents raised you to, to be a disciple of Jesus. And that's good. That's why we have our covenant vows and all that. But I, I would suggest that there's also more common is the, the journey crisis model, which is a combination of both. That's really more common. And Thomas is an example of that. Thomas is an example of that. Thomas has been following Jesus for three years. So, so, so you know, at some point, and, and John's gospel doesn't tell us when, but at some point he, he, he followed after Jesus. But here is a crisis moment for him in his faith. And, and this crisis moment turned him around in an even more dramatic way. Probably most of us who journey and come to a point where we understand more clearly that Jesus Christ is Lord and God, and he's our life. In verses 24 and 25, we learn that Thomas was absent the previous week. Was he sick? Was he afraid? Was he depressed? <laughs> he's a so-called doubter. Really? <laughs> he's never called that in the text. Thomas is called the twin. He's a twin. Multiples come in all kinds of temperaments. I know that from experience, <laughs> having raised triplets. Herbert Lockyer gives many of the, more, the popular commentators quotes on Thomas's temperament. Listen to these quotes from commentators. Thomas is very much to be, to be blamed for his unbelief in that he compares very unfavorably with the rest of the upper room, the, up, the other disciples. If ever a dismal, somber note was to be struck, you could depend on Thomas to strike it. A warm heart, but a melancholy temperament. A man of much love, but little faith. A man of candor and resolution, but inclined to subordinate the invisible to the visible. But Lockyer disagrees, and I disagree too. Lockyer says, rarely has a man been so pilloried and maligned on such insufficient grounds. <laughs> From the list of disciples, we learn a lot about, about this man. He was not on the A team, he was on the B team. There's three, three teams of disciples. He's on the B team. He's usually paired with Matthew three of the four times. He's paired with Matthew, the tax collector. Earlier in John's gospel, because John doesn't give us a list of disciples, but he, he has a lot about the individuals. And there's a couple of scenes in John's gospel where we get a glimpse into Thomas that people have blown up and said he was a 
customers. Listen to, to, to John chapter 11. There's a story when Lazarus was sick and then Lazarus died, remember? And there was a delay. The fact that Jesus said he's asleep, he's dead, he's asleep. And uh, Thompson's statement reveals several traits. He re- this statement reveals loyalty, courage, maybe a little bit of pessimism. This is what he says. The, 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 Jesus told them, Lazarus has died. For your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. The, the concern was we don't want to go because things are hot in Judea. Let's not go down there. And Thomas, called the twin, said to the fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. That, that's where people begin to think that he's a pessimist, a melancholy kind of guy. He never saw, you know, the glasses half full, but the glass half empty. John, John 14 is another incident where we, where we get a glimpse into, into him. Jesus, in John 14, is talking in the upper room about the fact that he's going to go away to the Father. He says, you're going somewhere to prepare a place so we can go there also. Okay, but where are you going? Where is it that you're going? How are we going to know the way if we don't know the destination clearly? So Thomas's question prompts one of the key declarations of Jesus in the Gospels. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Thomas is the one who asked that question. Lockyer says this, his chief characteristic was not doubt, but a deep and devoted love for the master. All he demanded was the same evidence that they had received. When he could see and handle the person of his Lord for himself, then he would set no bounds to his faith. And so Thomas, after this incident, he becomes a champion of the faith. Thomas, history tells us, took the message eastward into India, into other places as well, to plant the Christian church in India. He eventually was persecuted for the faith. He died for Jesus. He had a certain solid faith that's a model for all of us. So Thomas's testimony is not just that Jesus is Lord and God, my Lord and my God, and he personally walked with Jesus the rest of his life. The other thing about genuine faith that we see, it's communicated to us through credible apostolic witnesses, which we have in Holy Scripture. It's, it's communicated to us through credible, historic, apostolic witnesses. Jesus said in verse 29, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. So we have the many signs that he says that are written. These are written that you may believe. Believing. See, there's going to be a generation who believe and won't see. They'll, 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 they'll believe because of what's written. And that's you and I. That's you and I. And we can have confidence. We can have certain confidence in what we have in Holy Scripture. We have the book of Acts that tells us about the risen Christ. We have 1 Corinthians 15, which talks about the resurrection of Christ. That it's a certain thing, and even those who were alive at that point could testify to it. First Peter says this, 1 Peter 1, 8-9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Isn't that, isn't that your testimony if you know Christ? You've not seen him, but you love him. Though you do not see, now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with, with joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory. Now, contemporary people somehow feel they can't believe until God gives them a personal experience. 
That's kind of the, the mindset of people that until God shows me, comes to me, I won't believe. I'd like to challenge that. I'd like to challenge that. That, that God, God is not confined to have to give every single individual in history a personal encounter. He doesn't. He never said he would do that. God has told us we have credible witnesses. And we need to believe those witnesses to the undeniable truth that Jesus Christ is the Lord. We need to depend on God's word. Well, the, the application is very simple, isn't it? <laughs> believe. Believe. Verses 30 and 31. Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Believe that he's the Christ, the Messiah. Believe he's the Son of God, the Sonship of Christ. What does believing look like? Well, again, John's gospel gives a lot of pictures. One picture is in Numbers, is in John 3, which points back to Numbers chapter 21, where serpents were, were killing them, and he said, put a serpent on a, on, a, on, a, on a pole and stare at those who look at that pole where the serpent is. They will, they, even though they're bitten by poisonous snakes, they won't die. So just gaze at the serpent on a pole. It's Numbers chapter 21. Interesting story. Well, in Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus, he uses that as an illustration of what faith is. As, as Moses was lifted up in the, in, the, in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Eternal life. By just gazing, believing, trusting in the Son. Believing. You know, we exercise faith all the time. We just don't realize it. I was... Startled the other day, the other morning, I guess it was Friday night, um, to see that uh, another, there was another crash of a Boeing plane. Did you, the Boeing 737, it was, it was uh, this plane was not a, 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 a commercial plane, it was a, trans, a military transport plane. But many people were there, no one died, it was incredible. It was in Jacksonville, the uh, St. John River, but um, wonderful, you know, I, it, I was thinking about if you had a ticket on a Boeing 737 and how you would have less confidence than you used to have. At least I would. I mean, <laughs> they took the, the, the 737 MAX planes are off. They're gone until they get them fixed. But this was a, a military transport 737. If it were me, if I saw the word Boeing, I'd go the other way. I said, give me Southwest or either United. You know, I, I don't know. That, that, that's me, because I, I think I would not have enough faith in Boeing yet because of their record. But we exercise, we exercise faith all the time based on the record of those who have shown themselves to be faithful. Can't we do that with God, who has shown himself to be faithful? Can't we see that God's record is perfect? Believe in the record. Believe in what God has done. We exercise faith all the time. Jesus told a story, he closes the story, he told a story about a rich man, and a man named Lazarus, a poor man, and uh, they, they knew each other, and the, the, the poor man was, was kind of there all the time, and the rich man just passing by, and, and um, he was so poor, the dogs would lick his wounds, and Jesus tells a story that, that the, the poor man died, and then the rich man died, and he ended up in two different places, there was a chasm, one, somehow in this story, you could, they could see each other. He could see that Abraham's, in Abraham's bosom was the, rich, was the poor man, Lazarus. And um, 
it says that uh, the rich man, um, he, he used the word torment, anguish, and pain. Many wonder, is Jesus being literal there? He's telling a story, but how literal is, are we to take that? Well, parables, it doesn't, this seems to be a parable, but a parable, just because it may not be literal, it doesn't mean there's nothing we can learn from it, right? And there's important things we can learn from that parable. And one thing we can learn is that he says that you can't cross from one side to the other once you're dead. Many people in our world need to understand that. There's some who believe you can go one place and, and your sins will be kind of taken care of, and then you can go to the other place. Well, yeah, the, the principle of this parable won't allow that. Your sins won't get purged in one place, so you can go to the other place. But the other thing, the, the last thing that Jesus says in this story is very, very important. Let me read the last part of it. He said, I, I beg you, Father, to send me to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he so that he may warn them, the father may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they'll repent. And he said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, Neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. We have Moses, the prophets, Peter, John, Paul, Thomas. We got witnesses all over the place. And Jesus is not bound to come to each of us individually. We're urged to go to people to share the good news and the warnings. We're urged to believe in the testimony that's recorded by eyewitnesses who saw, who heard, who touched the risen Christ, who recorded for all time the clear testimony that the resurrection of Jesus is not myth, but historic fact. Believe it and be saved. Maybe like Thomas You've been hanging out, but you haven't really come to the basic truth that Jesus is your Lord and your God and committed yourself to him in repentance and faith. Well, as we say each week, there's a simple prayer in the bulletin. If you want to make a commitment to Jesus Christ, you can talk to someone if you, in the prayer room to make sure that, that, that you're that your faith is credible, but it's simple. It's, it's the simplicity of this is, is so amazing for us to understand. But sometimes the light, the light bulbs go on and we say, okay, now I got it. It's not my faith. It's not, my, it's not what I have done. It's what he has done, and I connect with him. It's that simple. You know, I, I gave the illustration of a plane. You know, you can go on a plane, and you can have great faith that that plane's going to take you from A to B. Or you can have very little faith that that plane's going to take you from point A to B. You can go, some people go on planes and they're nervous and they got to have cocktails, you know, every, every 10 seconds, whatever. You know, it doesn't, the, 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 the depth of your faith is not the issue. It's the skill of the pilot and the mechanics. Similarly, some of you might be here and have very weak faith. 
not about who we think. It's about Jesus. <laughs> it's about him who died for your sins. That you might have life, life eternal. Let me ask the elders to come, the officers to come forward as we continue. So we celebrate that, the simplicity of faith by just taking simple elements into our bodies uh, in this uh, celebration of the Lord's Supper. The Supper is for those who know the gospel, have trusted in Jesus Christ, and are walking in fellowship with his church. It's for children who have been invited through their parents and through the sessions. If you're a visitor, you know Christ, and you're part of a church that believes the Bible and is seeking to follow the Lord, we invite you to, to partake with us. If, 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 but if you, if you don't know this gospel yet, you don't know Jesus yet, and you're trusting in yourself, you don't know that he is indeed the Lord, your Lord. We ask you to pause and not take of the elements, but to ask God to make it clear for you that you might be a child, a son and daughter of the true and living God. Let's pray.